praise the Lord. Read a couple of scriptures and discuss a few discuss a few points. Uh, we'll start with Revelation chapter two, then move to Ephesians chapter three. So we'll start with Revelation chapter two. Um, what we'll have on the screen will be the New Living Translation. I will be reading from the Passion Translation. So there may be a bit different. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. Write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Ephesus. For these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all that you have done for me. You have worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claimed to be apostles and proved that they are not, for they were imposters. I also know how you have bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name, yet you have not become discouraged. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. This is a very interesting scripture. And why do I say so? God comes and tells John through a revelation to tell this to the church of Ephesus. And God says, you are hardworking, you have persevered, you don't tolerate evil, you have braved trials, and you have not been discouraged. But the same God comes and says, I have one thing against you. Now, when I read this scripture, what came to mind was, am I really a Christian? Because ideally, that's what Christians do. Yeah? You work hard, you persevere, you don't get discouraged uh, because of trials, you suffer for God's, name, for God's name, but God still comes and says, I have this one thing against you. God does not end there. He still says this hardworking person who has persevered, who doesn't tolerate evil, God comes and says, see how far you have fallen. If this description is of a fallen person, what more of, of me? Some of us have not even faced any trial or any persecution. But for these guys who had faced trial, persecution, they are hardworking, they don't tolerate evil, God comes and says to them, look how far you have fallen. But yet again, God does not end there. He says to this same picture of a perfect church or a perfect person, he says, repent. So if a hardworking person who perseveres does not tolerate evil, 
knows how to differentiate between an apostle and an imposter who has endured persecution because of the name of God is being told to repent. What more of you and I? Most of the times we judge or measure ourselves by how much we give for Christ, how much we suffer for his name. But God comes back and says, repent. Look at how far you have fallen. Repent and do what God says. Do the works of love you did at first. Says you have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Then you wonder, what is passionate love if it is not hard work, if it's not facing persecution, if it's not being discouraged? What then is passionate love? So to answer those questions, I had to go back to Ephesians, where Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians before this revelation came to, to John. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, then we'll connect it to this portion of scripture that we have read here. Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21, in the New Living Translation version. Paul says from verse 14, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray. To the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious and limited resources, he will empower you with inner strength, through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. During the course of this year, we did a series on the book of Ephesians, and many things were spoken about it. The book of Ephesians has six chapters, and in the first two chapters, Paul touches on various issues. The first issue that Paul touches in the book of Ephesians is an issue of spiritual blessings in heavenly realms. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because you are united with Christ. You cannot be united with Christ if you do not surrender your will to his will and proclaim like Paul and say, in him we move, we live, and have our being. Being united with Christ is losing your identity and assuming his identity. Being united with Christ is to be in agreement with him because how can two walk together unless they agree? Paul also touches on something in the first two chapters which is being adopted into God's family. 
Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6 says, He is the father of the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God. If you want to know where God's heart is, or if you want to be aligned at God's heart, you need to look for the fatherless, the widows, the oppressed, and the orphans, because that is where really God's heart is. And it continues and says, God places, Psalm 68, God places the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. You cannot be lonely when you are in a family. You can be alone, but you cannot be lonely. So Paul says God has adopted us into the family of God because true companionship is found in adoption by God. Paul continues and he talks about the role of the Holy Spirit um, in the first two chapters. And he says God gives the Spirit as God's guarantee. Now we know from scripture that God is not man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. And that his promises are yea and amen. Um, he says, I was young, but now I am old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed beg for bread. His word, his word never returns to him void, but God still had to give a guarantee. You see, he didn't need to give a guarantee for you to know that you are adopted into the family of God and you are a child of God because he is God. But God still went further and said, I will still give you a guarantee just in case you doubt that you are his child. Paul continues teaching and he says, uh, he prays for spiritual wisdom to understand God's power and the hope um, that we have. He continues to highlight how dead we were and how Christ raised us uh, from the dead for his own glory. He says, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness. Do you have a testimony? These days we have Christians that come to church. We have people who cross, call themselves Christians, but you do not have a testimony. We stand up and say, God saved me. He saved you from what? You are not saved from thin air. What did God save you from? What is your testimony? My parents used to tell us that during the revival of East, in, in the Eastern Africa, when you got saved, you had to come on the stage and you need to give a testimony. What has God saved you from? Do you have a testimony? Do the neighbors or the place where you stay even know that you are saved? Or you sneaked out and you sneak in, they don't even know that you went to church. Do you have a testimony at your workplace, at your school? Do they know that you are saved? And if you are saved, what are you saved from? Paul concludes the first two chapters by telling us that we are citizens of the kingdom. Paul then moves on to the last three chapters and he tells us that there has to be unity in the body of Christ. He says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over, of all who is over all and in all and living through 
all. There is only one God. There is no other God. Jesus says, I am the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. It ends there. There's no discussion. He didn't say I'm an alternate. He didn't say I'm an option. He didn't say I'm one of the other ways. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. In this day of new age and all these things of uh, being centered on yourself, uh, as long as you are worshiping God, Jesus ended that discussion and said there is only one way to God, and that is through him. There is no other way because there is only one God, one Father, one faith, one baptism, and one Lord overall. He continues in the next two, in the last three chapters, and he says, he tackles um, how we are supposed to live as Christians by not telling lies, not lasting, not having anger uh, or evil behavior. He also discusses in those last three chapters, he also brings out the gifts of Christ. And he said, Christ comes and he gives the gifts of apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I tell you that the church is not complete unless it has all five ministries functioning inside the church. If a church does not have apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors, then it's a malnourished church. Paul continues and tells us about relationships, how we should handle relationships between father and children, husband and wives, masters and slaves. Christianity is expressed through relationships and not silos. And many of us spend a lot of time reading many books and attending many seminars about how to love your wife. But the word of God already gives us the answer. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Full stop. No alternative, no option, no other way. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. What other book do you need to read to know how to love your wife. That same scripture continues, says, as Christ loved the church and presented it to God pure and clean. How many husbands here can present their wives to God pure and clean? Dr. Phil will not help you on how to love your wife. You need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, Oprah is not going to help you. The Bible already tells you, wives, submit to your own husband. Keyword, own husband. As unto the Lord. And it ends there. There's no alternative. There's no new age. Hakietu, 50-50, we are equal. If you want to love your husband... The Bible says, submit to your own husband. One preacher even said, men don't need love. They just need respect. After that, they're okay. So don't buy how to love your husband, how to make your husband love you, how to... The Bible is simple and clear. Submit to your own husband. 
And once that is done, the husband is he's okay. He's okay. Fathers, it also tells us what to do to, to children. Yeah, there's a big word there. It says, fathers, do not exasperate. But fathers, do not exasperate your children. Parenting 101, 102, 105, 110, 120, start and end right there. I know we're African, eh? When you enter the house, everyone has to scatter in all different directions because you have reached. But that's not how you parent. So Paul handles that. Masters and slaves, employers and employees. He says, you employee, serve your employer as if you are serving the Lord. Whether he's watching or he's not watching. And employers, he says, be fair to your employees because they have a God in heaven. That one is even a bit more tougher. Because you are being told, if you are not fair to your employee, I am there to defend the employee. And we are all employers. We have house helps, drivers, gardeners. How do you treat your house help when she burns your shirt? Yeah? Or she breaks that 50 shilling glass and you blow your head like she has crucified Jesus. Yeah? The Bible says, be fair. The question I always ask is, how many glasses have you broken yourself in, in life? Then Paul finishes that other part uh, of the book of Ephesians by talking about what everyone likes to normally talk about Ephesians. The armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Everyone can quote that scripture offhand. But the book of Ephesians has more in it. So we go back to chapter 3, which is in the middle of these six chapters. And it begins by saying that, and it's a chapter that we've just, the scriptures that we've read in verse 14. When I think of all these things, I fall down and pray. So why would Paul fall down and pray after thinking of the spiritual blessings, how we're supposed to live, the unity in the body of Christ, being adopted into the family of God, being citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Why would Paul fall down on his knees and pray? Because if it was in this generation, Paul would have decreed and declared and claimed and said, these blessings are mine, I decree and declare this but Paul didn't decree and declare. Paul fell down on his knees and he prayed. Well, the reason why Paul fell down on his knees and he prayed because God had shown him Revelations chapter 2. That these guys are going to work very hard. They're going to persevere. They're going to even suffer for my name. But they're going to forget one foundational and fundamental pillar of every Christian life, which is God's love. Paul realizes that the blessings before and the life that the Ephesians, that he wanted the Ephesians to live, would be impossible without God's love. 
We have desired a lot, but ne neglected the center, the epitome, the expression of God's love. God, forgive us because we have come, become an accumulating generation, uh, accumulation to no end. And the reason why some of us remain poor and never reach where we are supposed to reach because our thoughts of riches is accumulation. God does not bless you for you to accumulate, but God blesses you for you to be an outlet. The Bible says your righteousness is like filthy rags. Uh, but Jesus comes in uh, Matthew and says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Uh, Corinthians says, he made him who had no sin to be seen for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. Uh, then the psalmist says, I was young, now I am old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I propose to you that provision is found in righteousness. Seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So Paul realized that spiritual blessings and living a godly life are all but fruits that are born out of God's love. Paul therefore begins his prayer in Ephesians 3 verse 14 by asking God to give the Ephesians inner strength because he knew what he was about to ask them was beyond human capability and contrary to human nature. Paul asks that their roots grow in God's love. He didn't ask them to love God because you are not able to love God unless you are rooted in God's love. You see, it can be sunny, it can rain outside. But that doesn't matter much as long as the soil is right. Soil is to a tree as oxygen is to the lungs. Where are your roots as a Christian? Sometimes we suffer many things outside of this world and we weevil, we get discouraged and we lose our way all because our roots are planted in the wrong soil. Scientists say soil supports roots and keeps them upright for growth. The only support you will get as a Christian is found in God's love. And if you are to grow as a Christian, it depends on the soil that you are planted in. Soil provides air for gaseous exchange between roots and the atmosphere. If you want to function well in this world and make an impact, it depends on the soil your roots are growing in. Matthew 12 verse 33 says, Make a tree good and the fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and the fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. When your roots are in the soil of God's love, then 1 Corinthians 13 makes sense. 1 Corinthians 13 was not meant to be read or implemented by humans whose roots are in the world system, but by humans whose roots are inside God's love. It says in 1 Corinthians verse 13, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. You are hardworking. You persevere. You say trials for God's name, but without love, you are nothing. That's why God says to Ephesians, I have this one thing against you. You have abandoned your passionate love that you had at the beginning. Repent. When your roots are in God's love, then the fruits come out. And what are these fruits? And the fruits are, in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. If your roots are not in God's love, then don't expect to be patient. If your roots are not in God's love, then don't expect to be selfless. If your roots are not in God's love, then don't expect to be kind. Because patience, kindness, selflessness, forgiveness, hope, are all but fruits of a life that is planted in the soil of God's love. The question then that beckons is, how do I grow my roots in God's love? I don't have roots. So how do I grow into God's love? Well, Paul gives us the answer and says, may the, you give them power to understand as all God's people should. So it is expected that as long as you are among God's people, you should understand how wide, how high, how deep, how long his love is. Your roots will only grow as your understanding of God's love grows. When you understand God's love, your worldview will change and how you relate with God and others will also change. So the question is, do you understand how wide, how deep, how long his love is for you? Well, I have some suggestions for you today that God's love is protective. Forty years in the wilderness, the children of Israel always had a pillar of fire and a cloud by day to protect them from the sun and to keep them warm from the desert cold. God's love is protective. God's love is so protective that when Abraham was in the midst of sin, after he had lied to King Abimelech that Sarah was his sister, God still goes to Abimelech at night and he told Abimelech, if you dare touch that woman, you are a dead man. That's how protective God's love is. Some of you are here today, because even tonight, God had to tell some demons, some spirits, and some devils that do not dare touch this one, or else you are a dead man. Some of you are still in your jobs. You have not been fired. Even when you have uh, fellow colleagues who are trying to bring you down. Because some of them have been warned by God that if you touch this one, 
you are a dead man. God's love is protective. And if you understand God's love is protective, you will not fear certain things that you fear. God's love is providing. 40 years in the wilderness, he says their clothes never got torn. Their shoes never got worn out. If you were born in the wilderness and you came out at the age of 40, you were wearing the same shirt that your parents gave you when you were born. And you came out with it after 40 years and the same shoes. That is how providing the love of God is. It expands with your capacity. A two-year-old shirt was fitting a 40-year-old man. Size 1 for kids was size 11 when the guy was 40. Their shoes never got worn out. But some of us are stressing right now because school fees is coming in January. Some of us are stressing right now thinking January disease. Some of us are stressing where are we going to get this chicken for Christmas. It's all because we don't understand that God's love is providing. God's love is forgiving. If you look at your neighbor, I don't need to say much. God's love is patient. Job ran his mouth for months, accusing God for months. But still God blessed him more than what he had before. God is patient. God's love is eternal. It is unfailing. It does not end. Like what Corinthians says, now three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. God's love is giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What more can God not give you? But we act like we are lonely because we don't understand God's love. And he places the lonely in families. God's love is expectant. He says the, the father of the prodigal son used to go out and look at the horizon, waiting, waiting for his son to come. God's love is expectant. Every day his arms are open wide, waiting for that brother in your family to come. But he's waiting for you to tell them about Jesus and him he is waiting. God's love is unconditional. The word of God says, because he first loved us. Whilst we are still sinners, he gave us his son to die for us. God's love is unconditional. Then the last question that then comes is, for my roots to grow, I need to understand God's love. How then do I understand God's love? Paul gives us an answer to that. And says the only way to understand God's love is to experience the love of Christ. To understand God's love is to know Christ because Christ is God's love expressed. Have you experienced the love of God? Or you are just saved based on some philosophy or some man of God or just fear of hell? You know, some of us are here just to make sure that we are safe. Eh? In case this hell is real, let me just be found on the right, right side. 
But have you experienced the love of God? Because if you have experienced the love of Christ, then you will not harbor unforgiveness in your heart because God's love is forgiving. Have you experienced the love of Christ? Because if you have experienced the love of Christ, then giving will not be a problem because God's love is giving. Have you experienced the love of Christ? Because if you have not experienced serving in ministry and evangelism will not be a problem because you have experienced the love of Christ. There are people in the Bible that can tell us a little bit more about experiencing the love of Christ. We all know Mary. Mary was on a death sentence. Men were holding stones. I'm picturing them standing like Bonnie Kalwale, holding stones, waiting to stone Mary. But they brought it to Jesus, mistake number one. Jesus looked down and he wrote on the ground. By the time he finished, he looked up and asked her, where are your accusers? Have you experienced the love of Christ? Batmias, we all know Batmias. The famous Batmas who shouted, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. He was blind. He had never seen. But he experienced the love of Christ uh, and he got his vision and his life changed. The woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years, the Bible says she had spent everything that she had trying to get an answer. But the answer lied in experiencing the love of Christ. She crawled, she was kicked, she ate dust until she touched the hem of the garment of God and the power came out of God. The love came out and she was healed. Peter, Peter, the famous apostle Peter, he experienced the love of Christ. He had walked with Christ but he had not experienced the love of Christ until he denied him three times and abandoned him. But God still made him the head of the church an apostle. Only when you experience the love of Christ will you understand the vectors of his love and only then will your roots grow into his love. And then do you become more than a conqueror. If your roots are in God's love, then Romans 8 will make sense to you. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things uh, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life, uh, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor powers, nor height or depth, uh, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us uh, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Christ is God's love expressed where our roots are supposed to grow. When you know that you are loved by God and your roots are inside of, are growing inside of God, let the devil bring anything he wants to bring, but I will not be scared. I may not know what God is able to do. I may not know the infinite power that God has. The only thing that I need to know is that God loves me. 
when that boss uh, looks at me and says, I am not promoting you, I will fear no evil because I know my God loves me. You know, a wife trusts the husband, uh, even if the husband is skinny, even if the husband is shorter, but he knows because this guy loves me, he would rather get beaten uh, to defend my honor. Because I know God, uh, I know my God loves me. He is willing to give his only begotten son. Should I fear January? No. Should I fear hunger? No. Because I know as long as my God loves me, I am more than conquer. Christ, God's love expressed. And may this Christmas you work on understanding how high, how deep, how wide, how long God's love is.